What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And we are the hosts of Baseball Barbacast. And we are so excited to be back recording a podcast together Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. I am so excited for this year, Jake. Yeah, we are here with Yahoo Sports. Our time off of podcasting has weighed on me heavy. I've been delivering baseball takes to inanimate objects. So I'm rearing to get back to talking ball with my buddy. So join us on Baseball Barbercast. We're going to have a good time. Hey, everyone. It's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you, though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. I'm not playing in your league unless I can draft myself. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of football, I live a pretty boring life. With Matt Harmon. This is an anti-getting greedy podcast here. I've seen you guys' podcast kind of blowing up here recently, so glad to get on. It's Tuesday, February 21st, and we are lucky to be joined by pure royalty, Andy Barons. Andy, what's going on, buddy? I'm joking about you being royalty, but um, with the FSWA Awards coming up this week, this is actually your time to put the crown on, uh, to rule over uh, the peasants of the fantasy industry. So I'm sure you're a very busy man here joining us uh, on Tuesday morning. Oh, it's such a busy week. Um, I, I won't even lie. Like, our award season is is super hectic, and uh, we do it in a really, you know, w- w- ordinary, like, j- if you're just, like, a fantasy baseball player, you don't care about any of this. But we have this process uh, with the Fantasy Sports Writers Association in which we review all these submissions from like a thousand different people. And it's like a blind process and it is really clunky behind the scenes. And the whole website is a house of cards and it can all fall apart at any moment. And it's just like (laughs) trying to crash land this plane every year is so difficult. And I'm looking forward to having it over. Um, and, and it ends, uh, on Wednesday, which is awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds great for, (laughs) uh, for, uh, you know, uh, the prestigious Fantasy uh, Sports Writers Association and, and all the awards that must go out. That is a uh, that is your cross to bear, Andy, and we appreciate you uh, you being that guy, man. So, yeah, the president, royalty himself, happy you're joining us here. Because, Andy, we're kicking off a, a little mini-series on the podcast where we're going to go through each fantasy position, talk about some of the lessons we learned during the 2022 uh, football season. We're going to get it started here today with the running back position because that's uh, still pretty damn important. Then we're going to hit quarterbacks and wide receivers on the following episodes. Uh, By the way, Andy, I still have not figured out what the hell I'm going to do with the tight end position. Like, am I going to just combine it with one of the other two shows, quarterback, wide receiver? Am I going to make it a 10-minute podcast? Uh, I mean, should, should we just t- spend an hour talking about that mess? I, I don't know, but I, I, I'm going to try to figure that out. I mean, I feel like the future of the position in fantasy is just blended in with the wide receivers, so that seems natural to me. And that right there is why you are not scheduled for the wide receiver <laughs> show. <laughs> that is why you are on the running back show, my friend. So let's let's just jump right into it there, and we're not going to discuss that theory that you have there. Um, just 
little heads up as we go through this. Uh, I kind of made the decision that we were going to structure this in a way that we were going to talk about player specific. Like, you know, we're going to go through the top eight uh, finishers at the positions and, and talk about a lesson that we learned from each of those guys uh, heading into last year throughout the course of the season. I know that some people kind of bristle at the whole like this year's Austin Eckler type of analysis, and we're not necessarily going to do that, but I do think it helps. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're a listener, you can tell me if I'm dead ass wrong about this, but I think it kind of helps frame analysis for players going into next year and sort of how we can frame player archetypes. Does that make any sense, Andy, or am I totally wrong? Yeah, um, the the exception, and we see this in all sports, sometimes sometimes there's just not going to be like a this year's whoever, right? Sometimes yes. the season is so unique and sometimes a player is so uniquely talented and the circumstances come together in such a way that like it just doesn't happen every year. And, and oftentimes that stuff is forced. Um, but, you know, sometimes when we're talking, we'll talk about Austin Eckler in a second here, like sometimes the, the circumstances that come together for a player, we like, we can imagine that for other guys in the player pool. Right. So it is, it is worth yeah. framing it, uh, that way, at least to a certain extent. Yeah. If we get like 50, 60% of the way there, I think it helps like just again, kind of frame guys and on the whole range of outcomes, things and sort of how they're going to score those points, that type of thing. There's not going to necessarily be um, a this year's that for every position or in every player. Of course, it doesn't work that way. But again, just trying to frame things in a uh, and honestly frame things in a way that makes it easy and repeatable to talk about on a podcast. So let's <laughs> get right into it here. We're going to go through the top eight finishers at the position. And by the way, this was Andy's idea to cut it off at eight. And it was a great idea because there's a bunch of guys like in the sort of nine to 12 range. Like, do we really need a lesson from Joe Mixon season, a lesson from Dalvin Cook season? Probably not. Yeah, so Probably. that's just the thing. You get to guys like that, and it was, I don't think it was like you had fundamentally the same fantasy experience if you had Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon on a roster as you did if you had like Najee Harris um, or any right. of the guys who, who may have finished like four or five spots behind them, but were really within like 20 fantasy points. It just didn't matter a whole lot. Like you could, you could win with them but you probably didn't win because of them. So uh, it, they're not like they're relevant, but um, we could be talking about almost anybody when we're bringing up their names. Yeah, I kind of wanted to focus on guys that sort of um, really shined this year or really outkicked expectations. So we are going to have like an overachiever grab bag after we go through uh, the top eight. Because I think that's really where we'll get some actual actionable lessons to take into the 23 season and, and beyond. I also I also thought that eight was a good place to cut it off because the guy who happened to finish eighth in scoring, Jamal Williams, we'll get to him in a little bit, did it in a way that nobody oh, else yeah. did this year. Yeah. And and it makes yeah. me an interesting, yeah, interesting guy to talk I, I was like, I actually had to think, it was like, Jamal Williams wasn't nine, right? Because I, when I emailed this out, I didn't go through the outline just yet because I was like, I really want to talk about Jamal Williams because that's yeah. a fascinating one. And I think there's some things to get into. But all right, we've 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 wasted enough time here. With pleasantries. Let's get it started with running back one from this past year, Yahoo Fantasy's own Austin Eckler. <laughs> uh, my lesson for Austin Eckler's season uh, was pass catching volume can be a trump card for a middling environment. We obviously talked about the Chargers a lot on this show. Of course, it helps that Eckler, you know, scores a boatload of touchdowns, scores more touchdowns than anybody else in the NFL. That makes a big difference, especially when you're talking about fantasy football. However, we all saw the tweets all throughout the year about like, oh, he's on pace to break this many reception records. He's on pace to catch more passes than any running back ever. We we heard Austin uh, in an audible form roll his eyes uh, at those those stats. However, they really did help his fantasy season because as Austin talked about often on the show, 
the Chargers weren't like the best rushing team in the NFL, not even close. In fact, they were some they were one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL by certain metrics. So that environment necessarily wasn't so great from an offensive line standpoint, from a system standpoint, I would argue. And you know, we did again talk about the Chargers passing game a lot and how they were sort of underperforming expectations, but the fact that uh, he ha- always had those receptions, like I said, we're not going to have a this year's Austin Eckler that scores, what is it, like 38 touchdowns between two years? Like, that's definitely not going to happen for another player, I'd, I'd, I'd assert. However, like, if we're looking for a lesson from his season, I do think the reception floor really was a big deal. Yeah, um, I, I think that's certainly fair to say. But I, for me, the 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 question with Austin is really, well, first of all, if you align yourself with Yahoo Fantasy, um, it, it's it's clearly good for your fantasy value in yes. real life, right? Like that is, that yes. that is uh, we're one for one here. Yeah, we're one for one here. Um, so that's been a huge boost uh, to Austin's fantasy value. Also, like for, for me, the big, the big, uh, the big pivot point for Austin Eckler was was a couple of years ago. And I, I can remember, man, I can remember at the Flex League drafts having this conversation with Rich Rebar at a at a bar. Um, like we we're just we we're just you know, fantasy experts when they get together, just have stupid conversations. And it basically sounds like a podcast anyway. Um, and we we're talking through <laughs> some guys where like, you know, if if they could just add one aspect to their to their games, to their fantasy profile, everything changes. And and now we're talking about potential difference making players. And Eckler was an obvious one a couple of years ago where it was just like if he can just start seeing, he doesn't even need all of the work in goal to go situations and red zone situations, but if he can just get a, a larger slice of it, it was going to change everything for Eckler. And a couple years ago, you know, everybody in your draft had a shot at him. You could take him a- almost anywhere in the first round. I think he went at the back half of the, certainly the like the back half, but probably the one of the, one of the final picks in the first round, right? Like everybody had a shot at Austin Eckler. And then he really did get goal line work and um, ended up with a 20 touchdown season because of it. And that had never been part of his profile. And he was just one of those guys where like, you know, he was he was one there. Was, there was one missing aspect to his game. You could talk yourself into, uh, you know, him solving that problem in the year ahead. And man, when you're like the talent was there, there was no question the talent was there. There was no question the receiving ability was there. He had absolutely every other trait that you'd want in in a fantasy star. And, and then he started getting the most valuable carries in the game. And he just had a supernova season and and backed it up last year. Yeah, I do kind of wonder the NFL world, especially like film watchers and stuff like that have given, and I'm definitely guilty of this too, have given Joe Lombardi like a lot of crap for um, some of the concepts in the Chargers offense, uh, especially with the wide receiver position, uh, some of the route combinations, stuff like that, the way that it's a very short, like in quick game passing, uh, passing attack, you know, a lot of crap for that. However, one thing I think has objectively been really good about this Lombardi staff is is the usage of the running back. And like Austin's even talked about that, like that on this show, it's like, okay, if you see Joe Lombardi like coordinating offense or this system, like you know the running back's gonna get fed a ton of passes and a ton of like kind of like short stuff in the red zone to to pump up those touchdown totals. So maybe that's a change going forward with Kellen Moore. I, I don't know. It'd be kind of crazy. There were at different points like earlier the first three weeks of the season where it's like, let's get Sony Michelle work in the red zone. Let's get Josh Kelly work in the red zone. It doesn't <laughs> it didn't really work out too well for the Chargers offense. So I don't know that Brandon Staley would necessarily just let that mistake repeat itself with Austin next year. That's certainly not even what we're really talking about here. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a good lesson with Eckler too, not just even from last year, but 
and we're going to talk about that a couple of times here on the show, but like having some level of imagination about guys like expanding their portfolio, yes. especially amid coaching changes is definitely a big deal with at this position particularly. Yeah, I think it's a, and you know, I'm, I'm only now starting to run through the list of players who, who might be in for, uh, like a, a similar usage change next year. Like you get, like, I don't know, Deandre Swift. Is it, is it possible that Deandre Swift yeah. starts seeing some goal line carries? If that happens, um, now you're talking about a player who already has, you know, we know he has receiving ability. We know he has uh, a lot of the traits that we, that we like in a, in a star fantasy back. Um, we, I, like, I think in this era, We've stopped chasing the idea of, you know, oh, I got to get a back who's going to get 350 touches because almost no one does. Right. Like, so we, we can throw that out the window. Um, if there's an opportunity for Swift to get uh, to get goal line touches, to get any of that work that Jamal Williams was was living off uh, this past season, you know, he, he's a candidate to sort of be that next Austin Eckler or at least the next guy who makes a jump like that. Definitely. Um, I think that's a good way to look at it. And yeah, it's just. The, the running back position is definitely in a different world um, now than it was five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. And I think we have all sort of adjusted our expectations uh, along the way. All right, let's move to the next guy here. Chris McCaffrey. The, the, this lesson is easy. It's obviously <laughs> to get traded to the San Francisco 49ers. No, that's not, that's not really the lesson. But um, the lesson for McCaffrey is easy. It's sorry. And I, I know this is like a harsh way to say it, but speaking in absolutes about injuries is just straight up dumb. I mean, there were so many people you know, anytime a Chris McCaffrey post went out on Twitter, it's like, nope, never drafting him. He's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. Well, he didn't get hurt. You know, he was great, obviously, in San Francisco. He was pretty damn good in Carolina even before going yeah. to San Francisco. So I think that's a little bit like revisionist history that, oh, he, he needed this trade to hit his ceiling. He was having a really good season in Carolina, obviously going to an environment like San Francisco where he's going to score more touchdowns. Touchdowns matter a lot, as we just talked about with Eckler. But to me, obviously, the answer is easy here. It's just like if you're if you walk into a season saying this guy is going to get injured, you might be right. But to act like you are definitely going to be right is dumb. Yeah. Um, also, you you phrased it in a way earlier that is uh, that that is so common in fantasy where like you'll you'll hear someone say, oh, he burned me last year um, by, by getting injured. Right. Like you don't have a personal relationship with any of these guys, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, like he, did, he didn't do anything to you. Like there's, that's a, that's a strictly one way relationship. Christian McCaffrey is not thinking about, you know, you, Tony, um, when he's, uh, uh, you know, what he's, what he's, uh, making a decision, uh, uh, regarding his health. Uh, there is, there's absolutely no personal relationship that any of you have with players, uh, except for Harmon and Eckler. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, the lesson with McCaffrey and, and it is true for other people that we will be talking about here. It is true for Derrick Henry who, you know, missed a portion of the season the year before it is true for Saquon Barkley, who's had injury issues. Um, some of them related to, to pretty significant, uh, uh, injuries that he's, that he's accumulated over the years, but like, we're terrible at predicting injuries. We're absolutely terrible at it. Like in the aggregate, we can say that a certain number of running backs are probably going to get hurt each season, but we are absolutely, t I don't know anybody who's good at it at, at singling yeah. out players who don't have an existing injury coming into a season. Right. And that was the, you know, McCaffrey was, it's not like there's one thing that you can point to with Christian McCaffrey where you're like, uh Oh, I, if that knee holds up, if like whatever holds up, he doesn't even, he doesn't have like, like some sort of 
worrisome, chronic problem that we're going to have to be sweating for the rest of his career. Like, we're just terrible at predicting injuries, but we think we're good at it because we see a guy who missed a bunch of time the year before, and um, we just have short memories in this game, right? So your, your takeaway from this, obviously, is to look at the guys like, I don't know, everybody's mad at Jonathan Taylor uh, coming yeah. out of the season, right? People are going to people are going to go into drafts next year and you'll hear it. Folks will say, oh, he burned me last year. Um, again, Jonathan Taylor has no personal relationship with you. Um, Jonathan Taylor is as likely to stay healthy as anyone. He already has a 2000 scrimmage yard season on his resume. He has been one of the most valuable players in fantasy. He's young. Uh, he has some physical traits that are rare in the NFL, and he can absolutely finish as the RB1 again, whether he burned you last year in fantasy or not. Um, we are absolutely awful at predicting injuries. Nobody should engage in it. It should not be a component of anybody's analysis, right? Unless unless a guy is actually coming into a season with some specific injury worries, we shouldn't even talk right. about it because we're just spinning a wheel. Right, like a Kyler Murray this year. Like he's coming into the year with yes, a torn right. ACL. Guys like um, you know, Michael Gallup last year or Chris Godwin or you know, one of these guys like the late season torn ACL bros of last year. Like mm -hmm. I think it's okay to talk about that because you are actively in the middle of a recovery. Um with McCaffrey, like he said at one point in training camp last year, he's like, Oh yeah, I could go like take a piss and uh they they'll put me on the injury report yep. if I go take a leak in the middle of practice, you know, because that was just where we were at with McCaffrey at that point. And McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor um are such a great like Talk, like, there's such an easy way to frame this discussion because the talking point with Jonathan Taylor, like why you had to take him number one overall over Christian McCaffrey. And again, anyone could get injured. There are if we replay this, you know, Avengers style like a thousand times or whatever, <laughs> maybe this is maybe this is the one scenario, the one universe, the one multiverse where McCaffrey stayed healthy all year and Jonathan Taylor got banged up. But that universe, that multiverse did exist, right? And that yeah. was the one we lived in. Because with Taylor, it was like, oh, this guy's never missed a practice. He's never even missed a practice. He's not going to get hurt. Well, he, he got hurt and finished his running back 34. Uh, so, like, anybody can get hurt. And uh, I totally agree with your point there that trying to predict injuries, like, if, if that's the basis of your discussion, I think you're just you're setting yourself up. Um, to potentially look really bad because like McCaffrey, again, I know that he, the, the trade to San Francisco was great, but if you didn't take McCaffrey simply because of injuries, especially if you were sitting at two or three or four, I, I definitely know leagues where he fell to like that fourth spot because of the burnt factor and people getting their feelings hurt. You missed out on just outrageous value there. Yeah, he didn't have a successful season because like he was on his way to a great season with or without the trade. I mean, the trade was really fun. Uh, it's fun that he's going to be tied yeah. to a to a higher yield offense, uh, presumably over the next few years. But like, what wh wasn't he like the only guy to go over 100 yards against San Francisco before he got dealt there? Right. Like he's uh, I mean, he's just a flat out great player um, who yep. is uh, the, uh, the sort of platonic ideal of of like a like a modern NFL running back capable of, of you know, aligning anywhere, um, a gifted receiver, really great notion for, you know, creating space between himself and a quarterback like he's just a quarterback's best friend. He's an offense's best friend. He's as good as it gets um, in in this version of NFL football at the running back position. And like. 
again, we're, we're just, we're so awful at predicting injuries. Um, I, I've, I have made it a point, uh, over the last couple of years to just try to get as much of it as possible out of my own analysis. Right. Because it's just, you, you know, you're just, you know, you're just like trying to reach a word count when you start talking about, uh, <laughs> you start, start talking about the likelihood of a guy getting hurt. Cause it's just, I, I have no way of knowing. I've never had a problem trying to reach a word count, but uh, that's just uh, that's just me. Um, McCaffrey's game log, and I'm rounding up here uh, before getting traded to the San Francisco 49ers. 12 fantasy points, 13 fantasy points, 12 fantasy points, 17 fantasy points, 16, uh, 16 with the Carolina Panthers. And that was in the worst possible offensive environment. We know even the Panthers got better as the year went on and they got the farther they got away from that rule. So, um, yeah, he had those big explosive games with the San Francisco 49ers, but he was already like a really solid fantasy back uh, prior to getting traded. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Um, and Andy, running back three, Josh Jacobs, the lesson for him is Andy Barron's might just be the GOAT. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's quite right, but... Um, I, well, yeah, I wanted I, to leave this one open for you to take the reins since this was... Uh, this was a, the, the Obviously, people that listen to this podcast know you stumped for Jacobs in the offseason. Yeah. Um, probably weren't necessarily expecting him to... To finish his running back three, but kind of outline what the mistakes that people made along the way with Josh Jacobs. Yeah, there there are so many. There were so many pitfalls with uh, Josh Jacobs, and so and yeah, you're right. So many mistakes generally made along the way. The first of all, the assumption uh, that uh, because Josh McDaniels was was headed to Vegas, that we were all of a sudden that that the backfield was going to look exactly like uh, New England's uh, in prior seasons, which of course meant to people that uh, it was it was going to be a, a committee of some sort, which isn't even bad. Again, most teams are in committee. Yeah. Committee is not it shouldn't be like some dirty word in in fantasy. Right. Um, but in the Raiders case, I, I just I mean, the, I, I just thought that Josh Jacobs was clearly the best running back on the roster. Um, and, and there's not you know, I, I think we can make a reasonable case that that on the Patriots in, in recent seasons, there has not necessarily been like a, an absolute superstar back that they're pairing with a perfectly ordinary back and they're and they're splitting touches. I don't think it's like that. Like Josh Jacobs yeah. consistently from the moment he came into the league whether you're whether you're a tape bro or whether you're like an analytics bro, um, they they should align because he has been among the missed tackle leaders. He he is on film. He is one of the he's a, he's a tricky sort of running back because he is clearly one of the most elusive backs in the game. Like he's a make you miss in a phone booth kind of guy. But he's also not you know like we don't get the. We don't get a bunch of 60 yard runs out of Josh Jacobs. He doesn't run sure. away from people necessarily, but he is definitely one of those guys who has some of the most miraculous, you know, three and four yard carries uh, that that certainly could have been stopped behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. Right. And he manages to he manages to turn it into a perfectly normal, productive gain. Like he's a he's a wizard at that. He's been making people miss since he came into the league. He's played through some stuff. He's played through some injuries. Um, they've always leaned on him at the goal line. Like he, to me was a super safe back coming into the season. I don't like, did I see 2000 scrimmage yards? No, I don't want to, I don't want to victory lap that, but, but he, he was pretty clearly somebody that we'd all talked our way into like, Oh, Zamir White's going to take over or who, whoever is going to be mired in a committee with Josh Jacobs this is a bad situation. It's a fantasy nightmare. And so he fell to a, to a point in the draft, what third round, fourth round, wherever he went, um, that that he was just pure profit. Like all he needed to do was stay healthy and he was going to outperform that. And uh, again, this is, this is also just like a better oh, talent felt, situation. He felt way, way farther. I mean, in a lot of circumstances, he was like past the dead, like running back dead zone. Maybe after that's the, just cause I was, pre- 
I couldn't wait past the third or fourth round. So if, yeah, I, yeah. if I was in the draft, that's where I was taking him. Which is crazy because even that, you still profited off like what would have been like based on ADP, a pretty big reach like in the third round or something like that. But that would have still been a huge profit. I mean, obviously, it was the the Hall of Fame game, the preseason thing that yes, really drove right. him down, Um, you know, where in like best ball drafts in the summer, he was probably like a, I would say like a fourth, fifth round pick, maybe something like that. But he did get to like that sixth round range when we all started freaking out about like, why is he playing the Hall of Fame game? Yeah, no, it's it's fair. And that is a, you know, uh, the, the the sort of reading the tea leaves in in preseason football is is just fraught. It is it is difficult. Yeah. And and uh, when we get it wrong, we get it spectacularly wrong. And that was just a I mean, that was just a huge whiff on on a player who's who hasn't been anything like that's the other thing with Josh Jacobs in in my mind. He didn't even really like the stats were better than they've been in any other season. But I don't think he necessarily leveled up in any in any obvious way. Like to to my eye, he he's been great since he hit the league. Like his his rookie season was excellent. Um, and I, th- I think he finished uh, I think he finished the season injured. Uh, maybe didn't play the last couple games. But but that season was a was an absolute revelation. The other. The other thing that I think is interesting with Jacobs, and we saw it, you know, I, I know we don't have like Damian Pierce necessarily on the list to talk about this year because he uh, he got hurt at the end of the season as well. But you think about guys like Pacheco, Damian Pierce, Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs. These are all guys who uh, were never the like the full workload featured guy in college. Um, and they stepped into to absolute starring roles and looked and looked brilliant in the in the NFL like re- really early. Um, and that happens. Like that is another thing to to remain aware of as you as you draft, especially as we're coming into rookie draft season right mm-hmm. as we're coming into like the combine is soon. Uh, this is when scouting really gets ramped up, and you know there's definitely some like oh this percentage of team rush share or percentage of team targets yards per team pass attempt like which all that's great analysis and stuff like that but it's not the skeleton key and like these guys yeah. can really disp- and like i mean dan mullen and all them boys in florida weren't they like all fired you know in part because they weren't good at utilizing the talent on their roster one of which was damian pierce a great yeah. name to bring up uh as we're heading into rookie draft season but yeah definitely again being uh, open to guys showing themselves in new roles for Jacobs in the NFL, it wasn't even really a, a new role. Like if you actually just look at his his box score from his first three years, you're like, oh yeah, this is pretty quality starting back. He averaged like 3.9 yards per carry, four yards per carry in back to back years, which isn't like anything super exciting. But he still scored a bunch of touchdowns. He's another guy who got like dinged up a little bit each of his first first three seasons, then just stayed healthy this year, which again is is a thing that's it's important to remember. And and yeah, your point about like the assumption of rational coaching can always be a little bit tricky, especially for guys like Josh McDaniels who have had some questionable moments on their, (laughs) on their resume. That's for sure. I mean, this is the guy who was the head coach when they drafted Tim Tebow with the Denver Broncos, but still he'd have to be like pretty outrageously stupid to just be like, you know what? We're going to cast this guy, Josh Jacobs aside for no reason. And then just plays Amir white just because that would be pretty spectacularly stupid. Yeah, I actually I as I think about Alabama's roster when Josh Jacobs was on it, we shouldn't even we shouldn't even ding him for for not being the featured guy, right? Like was he in a backfield with with Najee and Brian Robinson and David Harris and Josh Jacobs and like the receiving core was full of NFL play, like just a yeah. wild roster. Yeah. Yeah, it was sort of like when, you know, Michael Thomas came into the league out of Ohio State and it was like, well, he never really dominated that, you know, receiving core of the target shares. So, well, have you seen the other guys he's playing with? You know, like <laughs> yeah. that doesn't it, that that stuff matters, too. Uh, all right. 
Let's move on to another former Alabama back here, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's tricky, but I think the um I think the main lesson here is trying to spot the end before it arrives isn't easy because I think you could definitely look at the amount of touches that Derrick Henry had piled up heading into this year and the fact that he got he literally did get injured in the 2021 season, came back in the playoffs and then wasn't really the same. It's like, okay, this is the end. This is where the decline happens. Well, he just went to went on to lead the NFL in carries again yeah. with 349. Um, score 13 touchdowns. Actually started catching passes for the first time in his career ever. Um, I'm still not over the fact that he caught 33 passes for 398 yards. Like was it, it was a great threat in the passing game. And I'm like, this could have always been happening. That's a separate point, though. Um Again, I think trying to spot the end before it happens is pretty dicey with these running backs. Or am I wrong here, Andy? And like Derrick Henry is quite literally just built different. I I do think that Derrick Henry is probably the sort of player who um, when when the end begins to come and when we can really see it. And I am not saying that like I, I don't. You know, Derrick Henry was playing through some stuff by the end of the year, um, takes a lot of hits, gets a lot of touches and all that. So I like I. I, I can't say that I that I saw the the December version of Derrick Henry as being any sort of problem, right? Like I'm not I don't yeah. have unusual worries going into next year other than the fact that he is, you know, he's aging. He's had he, he's taken a lot of hits over the years, but he he delivers so much punishment. But I, I guess my 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 general thought on Henry is I'm trying to find a, a historic comp. Like I can see him, I can see the the latter years of Derrick Henry's career looking a little bit like, you know. Eddie George, right? Like where it gets, Hmm. it gets far less efficient, but it's not, but it's still not a problem for fantasy because we're still getting like 12 touchdowns out of him, right? Like, like Eddie George had some, had some inefficient bad years toward the end um, where all of a sudden he's at like three and a half yards per carry, but like you'd barely notice in fantasy because they were still feeding him. Um, He was still like total yards were not a problem and and he was falling in the end zone all the time so like the, they weren't bad fantasy years and we got a we got a big heads up on on you know like w- when it would really go south for for Eddie George and I can I can see Derrick Henry kind of closing it down that way I could I you are right to point out that they could have always been throwing to him because I feel like almost every year even even these seasons where Derrick Henry is catching like you know 16 18 balls a couple of those he would take to the house in spectacular fashion, right? Like there, there have always yeah. been big moments for Derrick Henry as a receiver. They just don't do it enough. Um, even this year when he, when he started catching more Pat, like we're still not even close to the, to the number of touches as a receiver that Derrick Henry should probably be, uh, should probably be fielding. I, you know, I, I wonder where he's, he's the one guy where I, I don't know where to put him in. Like we do these little, these mm-hmm. little mocks of like what the first round should look like, what the second round should look like. I'm not sure where to slot Derrick Henry. Um, I, I do want to be cognizant of the fact that like the, the end comes for every player and it's often rough. Um, I just also can't wrap my head around the idea that Derrick Henry should fall outside of the, outside of the, say the top 10. Yeah, that's, that is tough to wrap your mind around, especially I wrote about this for the website recently. Like, I think we're going to learn a lot about what the Titans think of themselves based on their offseason moves. We know they made a change at coordinator, um, but like they can't, they can't realistically walk into this next season with that receiving core once again, you know, like, but if they, 
I don't know, make like a, a minor, they sub out Robert Woods for another like middling veteran. And it's just like, okay, we're going to hope that Traylon Burks takes a big step forward. And we're going to hope that this veteran is a bit better than uh, the already declining post ACL Robert Woods. Then I think that's sort of like, all right, well, they're signaling that they're going to give the ball to Derrick Henry 300 times again and yeah. figure the rest out <laughs> later. Uh, so I think we'll learn a lot about what the Titans feel about the situation, particularly based on their moves over the next few months. Yeah, I agree with that. And, the, the, you know, the biggest thing about Derrick Henry, the biggest open question on him coming into the year was like what, the, the foot, right? Like he he's yeah. an example of a guy who had a who had an injury that we really should have been concerned about coming into the year. And he he just he aced it. Um, didn't he? I believe he played 16 games this year and could have played a 17th if they would needed it. Right. Yeah, they um, rested him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I just uh, absolutely healthy throughout and and even when he was dinged a little bit he played through it and he played well yeah um so i just i don't i don't have other than the fact that he's got some mileage now i don't i don't have a reason to think that derrick henry will be anything less than derrick henry entering entering 2023 um so you're, you're probably going to find it by the time we're actually drafting he's probably going to be i don't know f- five six overall for me on my board yeah. it's just really it's just really it's going to be hard if i'm going to be wrong i i I guess I'll be wrong. Like I'm going to miss on some first round running backs at some point. At, at least let me miss on one with Derrick Henry's pedigree. Right. And worth noting, he finished last season incredibly strong. You're right. There was a blip there where he had like 2.8, 3.1, 2.2, 2.7 yards per carry. But then in admittedly great matchups, yeah. 7.1 against Jacksonville, 5 against LA, uh, the Chargers, 5.5 against Houston, and then uh, another 100-yard game against Jacksonville to end it. Like the four, His last four games were some of his best work of the season uh, after coming off that blip. So, yeah, there's no signs of decline, which is, a tr- again, why I think this is a tricky business here trying to predict mm-hmm. when the cliff comes for these players. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hit the rest of the top eight list here and potentially a few overachievers on the other side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Nick Chubb, running back five. Uh, this one was tough. I don't necessarily have like one that screams out to me, but um, for me, like the lesson for Nick Chubb is it just like elite talent matters. <laughs> uh, I, that's a pretty stupid way to say it, but it is just how I'm going to go ahead and, and frame the discussion here because there were a lot of questions with Nick Chubb coming into the season, right? Like there was the Kareem Hunt worries. There was uh, the the lack of pass catching, and you know, similar with Derrick Henry, he catches 27 passes. Um, not great or anything like that. Uh, you know, he's even fewer catches than Derrick Henry did Nick Chubb have. Um, just not, there were certain, there's always concerns with, um, with fantasy running backs. Nick Chubb catches, checks a lot of those boxes, especially because we're like, all right, what is this offense going to look like with Jacoby Brissett under center for more than half the season? By the way, it looked better than when the guy they wanted to be starting games, uh, (laughs) came back later in the year, but Nick Chubb, I, it wasn't always the cleanest ride, but he finishes here at running back five. Um, what's a good lesson to take away from his season? Yeah, Chubb. Well, I I mean, I think you said it and I don't think it's, um, uh, that outrageous, a, a, a take to say that I, I think that Nick Chubb, like, overall 
ball in his hands um, is is probably the most dangerous ball carrier close to it in the in the NFL. Um, uh, certainly at running back. Um, I, I think Nick Chubb is just a wonderful player. I think he's you know I, I and I I would have coming into the season put Josh Jacobs in that class a little bit too. They just they just make a million guys miss. Um, uh, you know they, they they have things that are that are unteachable. Um, I I think. Nick Chubb is fantastic. And it, and it is, you know, the lack of a receiving role that really nudged him into like the second round in drafts last year. And he, and he also wasn't healthy at the end of the season. Right. And to his credit, he played through, uh, I think it was a foot issue late in the year, finished out the season, had some nice games, but it wasn't like, it wasn't first half Nick Chubb. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. Nick Chubb of like September, October, looked like he was going to be a legit we toss around the term league winner all the time and it's usually inappropriate because there's only like two or three really uh, over the course of a season nick chubb looked like he was going to be one of those guys he wasn't at the end but he was still he was still obviously very good very productive and you could win with him um he he's just about as good as it gets it's going to be weird if nick chubb finishes his career without a rushing title um which hey you're in the era of derrick henry and whatnot but like i i just think he's I, I I think he's fantastic. He's he's one of my favorite players to watch. He's one of my like obviously the Browns haven't done a ton. Um they're they're not a they're not a joyful watch necessarily, but Nick Chubb is absolutely one of my favorite players in the NFL to watch. I think he's a brilliant runner. Um and it's no surprise to find him top five. In a weird way, I guess you could actually argue that the offensive efficiency concerns did bear out for Nick mm-hmm. Chubb again it just happened with the with the different quarterback <laughs> yes. that we assume yeah because he didn't score a single rushing touchdown um and had some of his slower games when Deshaun Watson came back in under center in week 13 we expected that to probably be the case earlier in the season but that was when he was scoring like just a boatload of touchdowns but Jacoby Brissett under center so I guess you could argue in that way that concern did bear out but just not in the way we thought yeah the the exact opposite of of what we might have imagined this is also like the, this offense is going to be you know it's an understatement to say that it is going to be one to watch um in the offseason but like camp is going to matter all the camp reports are going to matter right because mm-hmm. deshaun looked looked so lost um in the in the final weeks of the year it was so unimpressive but we we know what his ceiling is as a passer obviously he's been you know in houston he was one of the most efficient passers we'd seen he, he's already led the league and he's been a category leader in the nfl right so deshaun can be great again and if that offense turns into something where it's you know a, a top third of the league sort of offense Man, um, hard to imagine Nick Chubb not going off for like sixteen hundred rushing yards and a, and a huge touchdown total in uh, in those circumstances. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Saquon Barkley, running back six. This is definitely another one like we talked about with McCaffrey, where you can run back pretty much all those comments for Saquon Barkley. Like if mm-hmm. you're going to come in here and say this guy is definitely going to get injured, you are opening yourself up to look like an idiot. Um, but I would say the other lesson here for for Barkley is be open to coaching and organizational changes, creating new opportunities. Obviously, you could talk about this with Daniel Jones as well. Um, like these – the the Giants offense under Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka and that eco and that organizational structure could not be more radically different than what they were doing with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. And that obviously create along with just staying healthy, created a lot of opportunity for Barkley. Yeah. Um y- you said it. The the big one for me again is that we are just absolute 
at uh, predicting injuries, right? Like, any, like anybody who was done with Barkley because they were sure he was going to get injured again, you know, we're just, we're just awful at that. And you should exclude it from your analysis because you're terrible at it. Um, we're all terrible at it. I'm terrible at it. Nobody does it. So that that that's number one for me with Saquon. And you're so right. I, I don't know how often we can really see this coming, but with Dayball, we we surely could. Um, you yeah. Know, he'd, he'd been so good in the prior stop. Um, and, and that was that that was sort of a screaming boost to Barkley's value and Jones's value. It was it's just it's hard to imagine sometimes with players like, you know, Daniel Jones where he's never done it. It should have been much easier. And for a lot of people like I you know, I was I wasn't driving the Barkley train by any means. Um but it, it, there were people who were pounding the table for him and and right. credit yeah. credit to them because uh they were right. Like and it wasn't it's one of those cases where it shouldn't have been difficult to imagine because we, you know, Saquon, when he came into the league was, was just an absolute revelation. You know, his final season in college, he was basically a superhero among mortals, uh, in the, in the big 10. And then, uh, you know, his first year in the league, he was, he was otherworldly as well. Like we've already seen him have a, have an offensive player of the year caliber season at the position. So it shouldn't have been much of a shock that with, uh, you know, a seriously upgraded offensive coaching staff that, that something like this could happen with just a little bit of luck on the health front. And he's again, played 16 games. Like we are so bad at predicting injuries. Yeah. Again, I think Jonathan Taylor is the easiest one to, to sit here and say like, Oh, he will be the guy who can bounce back and be, you know, the Saquon Barkley type player, because we've seen him be the running back one overall. They're getting like, I think Shane Steichen will bring like a shot in the arm to the offense as well. Um, I like, I loved what Frank Reich was doing, uh, but obviously there was a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff going on with the Colts uh, <laughs> last year, uh, <laughs> different parts of the year. Um, so certainly I think that's like a, just a, a he's an easy guy to compare there um, to potentially make that jump. I, I don't know that any others necessarily jump out to me, but there's, you know, that coaching change can be a pretty big deal four players uh especially yep. guys that have proven resumes of greatness uh tony pollard next one here at running back seven this one i think is just be open to players shining in roles that we haven't seen them play before um because i was this was i've never been a tony pollard bro like one of these dudes that is out there just like pollard is better than zeke from like literally day one that pollard entered the nfl there was like zeke haters that were ready to say that i was never really ready to say that but coming into this year it was like okay I've never this is like the first time I'm ever really interested in Pollard because I think there is a chance that this year he could shine in a different role. Um I not not it didn't always play out like I thought as a receiver. I thought he would be more so in like kind of a like an Austin Eckler type of role. Not Austin Eckler of this year, but like Austin Eckler earlier in his career. Um and he sort of kind of did, but like he caught 39 passes on 55 targets, 371 yards, three touchdowns. Nothing like crazy special as yeah. a receiver, but the more the year went on, the more like he took on a higher standing in the backfield than Zeke did. And that was something that we had never seen before, but it was something that I think where these two players were was definitely like a, a necessity to happen. Yeah, it was absolutely appropriate. And this is to me, this is, um, you, you know, other than the season where, where Zeke was playing through the, I think it was an MCL, right? Um, th this was the first year where it was, where it was truly apparent that there was a, that there was a gap between these two players, um, talent wise, yeah. like, 
but also I, I sort of understand what you're what you're saying here with, with not being a Pollard bro. It's it's easy not to because I I hate when we're like you know we're on we're on Twitter uh, throughout Sunday and the whole world. You're gonna just is... put a period by the way after Twitter. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly. I hate when like, we're on Twitter. Period. Like all of fantasy Twitter is screaming for for Tony Pollard to get like literally all of the touches and all the carries and there's yeah. just there's just not. Like teams don't work that way. Like the Titans work that way and the Steelers may work that way. But like most of the NFL does not work that way and it's just never going to happen. And it's not like and I I feel like the NFL has been mostly right about that. Like it's it's for for most players, there is a level at which, you know, if we want to we want to maximize the advantage of having this player on the roster and we want to maximize their per touch efficiency you know, that, that, that's probably not 35 touches a game. That's, that's probably not every snap. Right. So like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that the, that the Cowboys use Pollard wrong. Um, cause they, they managed to get a bunch of explosive plays out of him. He's really exciting. Zeke isn't nothing, you know, he's still, he's still fine at the goal line. He's still good between the tackles. Like he still has a use. Um, is he, you know, compensated beyond his current, uh, uh ability? Sure. Um, and that's probably going to change, but I, I don't like it, it, it was fine that Zeke was still on the field and it just gets a little bit frustrating to, to watch the rest of the world screen that all of the touches should go to Tony Pollard because like, I don't know, you're not going to get the best version of Tony Pollard if you're getting, you know, if you're getting 30 touches per game. Um, this was a, this was a great season. It is, it is a really rough break that it ended in, uh, in yeah. injury for Pollard. And hopefully by the time we get to like August, he's fine. And we don't have to, we don't have to think about, you know, the, the ongoing recovery of Tony Pollard. Zeke was running back 19 like that was kind of where he was drafted maybe even sometimes lower than that you know um he had a little little touchdown deodorant um to Uh, to his season for sure definitely I'm not saying that Zeke Elliott was like the 19th best running back in football I'm saying that he was like the running back 19 in fantasy you know Uh, so um but it was just that Pollard so far out kicked his draft expectations where he was like running back 30 31 32 ends up finishing a seventh um, and I mean, this is also just a shot, like a, a, a lesson to take shots on talented players, uh, yeah. you know, because I think we all could agree that wherever you stood on Pollard, that he was a very talented back um, and in a good offense. Like, I know we're all coming off a, you know, kind of bad taste in our mouth with Dallas's offense, but it's a good offense. It's a good offensive environment. And, and Pollard was a big reason why it ended up being that. Um, all right. Running back eight. We talked about him at the top. Jamal Williams. Um, a lot of fun things to talk about here. A lot, you know, fun player, but obviously a lot of fun uh, lessons to potentially learn here. I wrote down two of them. One, your talent evaluations don't always matter. Um, and this is particularly more so like a, a DeAndre Swift thing. You know, I mean, it was yeah. definitely common to think coming into this year, like, okay, DeAndre Swift is a great back, you know, and, you know, he's just so much better than Jamal Williams, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's why there's this, this huge gap in their ADPs. And, and I'm not dunking on anybody here. I I like Jamal Williams. I took Jamal Williams in a lot of drafts, but I still had a huge ranking gap between DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. But it was pretty clear kind of from the jump that the coaching staff didn't agree with that. Um, and Jamal Williams is a pretty talented player who's also he's what people forget, like, folks are trying to throw him to the he was like the Zeke Elliott to Aaron Jones very early on in the career it's like you can agree that Aaron Jones is a very good back but like Jamal Williams is pretty good back same thing with this DeAndre Swift situation in in Detroit I would also say that good ecosystems can produce surprising finishes and whether you knew it or not coming into this year the Lions ended up being one of the best one of the best offensive ecosystems in the entire NFL 
Yeah, um, the, some of the some of the crazier stats uh, surrounding Jamal Williams' season, like n- nobody, like nobody in the game had the had the goal line role that uh, that Williams did. He had thirty three carries inside the five yard line. No other player had more than twenty one. Um, he had forty five carries wow. inside the ten <laughs> yard line. Nobody else had more than twenty nine. Um, and you know, he you got to get a little bit lucky for that. You got to get a little bit lucky for that. Yeah. Like that's just not a, that's not a thing you'd forecast for anyone. That's not a thing you can plan for. Um, but he did, you know, he had that role very obviously very early in the season. He kept it throughout, um, in part because he, like he won in those situations. He, he more often than not, he converted, he had, he had 15 touchdowns inside, like on carries inside the 10, he had 14 of those touchdowns were inside the five yard line. Like he, he just he converted when he was at the goal line. I don't know that that's like sticky year to year. I don't know that like Jamal Williams is necessarily a, a, a you know short yardage goal line master, and it's going to continue going forward. Um, I like is Amon Ross St. Brown going to be the most tackled player at the one yard line, two yard line, three <laughs> yeah, yard yeah, line yeah. for a second year in a row? Like is that just Jamison Williams pick up on that? Like as the veteran exactly. mentor there, Amon Ross St. Brown. You know, he's, hey, Jamison. Like when we get down into the three, you make sure you get yourself tackled so Jamal can bang in a touch. Also, free agent this year. We we don't know that yeah. he'll necessarily be back with Detroit, but it's it's just worth mentioning. Yeah, if you're Jamal, you probably want to land in Detroit again, right? Uh, yes. Because yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> th- there's there's no uh, like it's a perfect storm, uh, and and your usage was was absolutely incredible. It, it's just he's the most obvious candidate for touchdown regression. I don't think there's any doubt about that, unless they use him this way again, which was again it was crazy. It was a total outlier last year. Nobody else had that sort of goal line role. Um, it's rare. Um, you're probably not going to see it again. But if he's he's back in Detroit, that's like his only path to 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 having a you know. No, again, he's not going to he's not going to reach this touchdown total again. He's not going to have 17 rushing scores again in all likelihood, but 12, right? Like it's not, you know, it's regression by itself is not a reason not to draft a guy because he can regress a lot and still finish with like 10 touchdowns in a pretty valuable fantasy season. Yeah, that's an offseason lesson right there, because I guarantee you you're going to see people, you know, say in the offseason don't draft Jamal Williams. He's not going to finish his throwing back eight again. I'll gu- I will guarantee you right now. I'll bet everything I own. I'll bet my two dogs, not the truck. I'll give you the two dogs, uh, every TV I got in the house, every guitar, uh, won't risk the truck though, <laughs> that he's not getting drafted at running back eight this year. You know, like right. you said, he can, he can regress off 17 damn scores and shoot. Even if he has like a thousand yards and, eight touchdowns like you 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 more than half his you know you half his touchdowns or whatever um he probably will still give you a profit based on where he gets drafted because i i can't imagine he'd be like even like a top 15 drafted back you know that would be crazy yeah, it's absolutely not going to happen. And he's still going to make all sorts of lists of like players to fade in 2023. Yeah, for sure. But, but we're not going to have him in the range where you have to really worry about fading a player, right? He's going to be yeah. this like back end of the of the dead zone running back. He, I, I, I don't think he's going to, I don't know, he's not going to be ranked top 15, top 16. Again, no, it was I, weird I'm usage close. last year. And everybody's going to make the case not to draft him um, to the point that I can imagine him becoming a value in the right spot. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I've I've called Jamal Williams like catnip for coaches. Like this type of back oh. is is because not just because of his personality and his leadership, which has clearly become so important to Detroit, but even back in the Green Bay days, I was calling him this because he's reliable, he doesn't make mistakes, 
he gets what's blocked plus a little extra. He doesn't take a bunch of chances at lose yardage. Like, I mean, a DeAndre Swift is that type of guy for sure. Um, and, and, you know, he's like pretty reliable in pass protection. I think you could group like the current version of Ezekiel Elliott in, or maybe, maybe not going forward, but like last year, the last two years, even when he was banged up, he is that type of back. So yeah, fantasy Twitter seems to hate those type of backs, <laughs> but that can be a potential value for you out there. Uh, if you can identify the Jamal Williams types, like the catnip for coaches types, and, and potentially take them at a little bit of a discount. Uh, all right, Andy, let's let's wrap this up here with just a couple of overachiever grab bags. Because, like you said, my original pitch was to do the top twelve at the position. Is there really anything to learn from Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon? Probably not. They did about what they were expected, or maybe even a little mm-hmm. bit more. Who really cares? But there were two other guys in that range that I do think we can talk about here. Ramondre Stevenson at running back 11 and Miles Sanders at running back 13. My lesson for Stevenson was simply like take shots in the later rounds on young, talented players, even if they are in muddled backfields. Uh, the Patriots famously a muddled backfield uh also coming into last year he was playing with a guy that scored a boatload of touchdowns in Damian Harris and the offense overall was certainly muddled with the whole Matt Patricia thing but Stevenson talented back proved it put it out there um in his rookie season like he was an obvious guy that if you were drafting after round five like he was somebody that could way outkick his expectations he did outkick his expectations yeah he ran a little bit hot with the whole like Damon Harris getting hurt thing, but yeah. I think either way, what do you have like eighty eight? Um, he had eighty eight targets. Eighty eight like, targets, was a pretty big reason. Uh, yeah, a, a very nice reception total. Uh, yeah, very um, nice, extremely exceptional, exceptional season, particularly as a receiver. Um, and and that is a thing that is clearly going to stick, right? Like, I don't, I don't know for sure. There's a, a every running. It feels like every running back in the league is available in free agency right now, and it's obviously it's a good Seriously. incoming rookie class too. So I don't like. I I'm I'm hesitant to say that we know exactly what New England's backfield is going to look like because we don't um and it's super easy to imagine them pairing Ramondre Stevenson with another guy he also got a little he also got a little fumbly at points um which yes. which, which is probably going to be an issue moving forward given given who his head coach is um that that's got to stop um I, I think the most likely scenario with Stevenson is that he ends up um probably the the head of a committee coming into the year and again I don't mean that as a dirty word because almost every team, like there's going to be 30 committees. There's going to be like 28 committees or something like that. It's not, it's not, you can't avoid it. Um, there's, there's no point in trying to avoid it. Um, it's just going to happen, but he's going to be the guy I would imagine who is in line for 65 to 75 receptions again. Um, just a, just a terrific season for him. It's, but I, I think the, the thing to keep in mind again is that when Damian Harris was available, Damian Harris played. Yeah. Um, your point about the free agent market at the running back position combined with the draft class. Like we definitely need to do an episode of the podcast, like, like aftermath of just the entire running back landscape in the NFL yeah. potentially getting overturned here because there's so many good players available in free agency. Um, starting, including this next guy here, Miles Sanders, running back 13. E- a couple of easy lessons here. Uh, first of all, don't always trust what players say about fantasy football. I know I joked about it a lot <laughs> on the show, but like when he said, like, don't draft me in fantasy, that wasn't him saying, like, I'm going to suck in fantasy because he clearly doesn't like fantasy or even know what fantasy really is. Is, which is fine. I mean, that's his. I don't blame him for for feeling that way, considering the amount of crap he probably got after scoring zero touchdowns the year prior. Um, but it, it, that that really kind of it dovetails into the real point here, which is don't get your feelings hurt. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. Like guys, go, he burned me last year. Miles Sanders burned me last year. No touchdowns. Um, and again, it's a trust ecosystems thing. Like if you just took 
Miles Sanders scored, like if you just threw the idea that he scored zero touchdowns in 2021 out of your mind and just looked at a guy in Miles Sanders who was definitely the lead back of this team, like Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, these are committee backs, like you said, not a dirty word, but not guys that are going to take that big step up. Miles Sanders had the best resume on a team that we all knew was going to be good, on a team mm-hmm. that we all knew was going to run the crap out of the football, and we all knew had a great offensive line. Like, yeah, you'd be hammer drafting that guy where he was going in um, in August and, and stuff like that, but because of that NBC clip where he said, don't draft me in fantasy, I think was part of it, but also just how burnt and how hurt people were from his season prior definitely caused him to be a huge value and a huge win at running back 13. Yeah, this is like when Melvin Gordon came into the league and had the weird, you know, zero touchdown season. And it meant nothing because Melvin Gordon w- went on to, you know, like double digit touchdown year after double digit touchdown year. Right. Like it was, Super Bowl champ Melvin Gordon. Yeah, Super Bowl champion Melvin Gordon. That's right. Um, yeah, it, it just it just means nothing from one year to the next. Uh, Miles Sanders finishing with 11 touchdowns in a year where like you were probably still annoyed at how often you saw Gainwell on the field and you saw Boston Scott on the field, right? Like it was, it was still, and obviously Jalen Hurts still poaching touchdowns like crazy. Um, But it was all covered up by the fact that this was a team, um, like maybe they exceeded your expectations, but they were clearly going to be a great offense. Um, There was, there was no world in which the Eagles were going to be like, you know, a a back half of the league uh, uh, offense that, that was just not possible. So, like in a in a scenario like that, I don't I don't know what you would have come into the year projecting the Eagles to score per game, but it was probably like twenty four or more. Um, Miles Sanders was going to have roughly the year he had. Uh, finishes with with eleven scores, super efficient on the ground too, almost five yards per carry. Great year for him. Um, I, I think if I were him, I would want to stay in Philly. I don't know if Philly is going to yeah. identify that as a need because they've got to pay Jalen Hurts down the road. They've got you know they've got some decisions to make there. But if I'm Miles Sanders, I just want to stick around. Yeah, he's a he's a PA guy, uh, so you'd think maybe he would want to, but um, it's going to be tough. The Philadelphia's yeah. got a lot to do. They just had like yeah. a lot of big name defenders uh, have their contracts voided like, a couple days ago. So there's a lot on the offseason to do list for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, we Andy have checked off this item on our offseason to do list: the running back lessons learned. I appreciate you doing this with me, man. In what is a extremely busy time for you, uh, doing a little revisionist history here on the running back position. Oh no this this was a blast. I was I always have time for fantasy football. Well, I mean, let, let's hope so. It's a part of the reason the checks continue to clear. So uh, <laughs> we all we all would like that uh, to continue to be the case. Uh, well, appreciate you, Andy. This was great. Again, we are going to have the quarterback position up next with Scott Pianowski. Uh, I haven't decided whether I'm going to attack the tight end episode on that or with the wide receivers. Based on what Andy just said, I'm probably going to attack it on with the quarterbacks. To not even put that. That <laughs> fury, that evil into the air might tack it onto the quarterback episode. I haven't really decided yet. I'll figure it out. Uh, in the meantime, if you don't already, make sure you're following us both on Twitter. He's at Andy Barons, and I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, it is always a good time to follow at Yahoo Fantasy. I'll be back tomorrow to talk about the lessons learned with quarterbacks, like I said, with Scott. Until then, we're out.
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.